0: Welcome to Nesson Dormer. We're back for our Euro 88 deep dive, this time looking at match day two. And I'm Gary Naylor, joined today by Martin Ramsey. Hello, Martin.
1: Hi, Gary. How are we doing?
0: Okay. Hope you are too. And Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. Hello, Gary. So, We've done match day one, which you'll be able to hear on another podcast. The groups are up and running, a couple of surprise ish results. But um, it starts to get into the nitty gritty, these 14 groups. Uh, don't give much margin for error, as a certain England side we're about to find out. But we'll start in group, uh, where is it? Group, uh, group one. And we'll come to the West Germany, Denmark game. Bob, I'm gonna to come to you for the teams and the formations.
2: Yeah, so um quite interesting. I've been was trying to note the teams down today, and a lot of the formations are much more kind of fluid and in some cases asymmetrical than I expected. Um but I think Germany's was a four-four. They played a back three in the first game, but in this they brought in Wolfgang Rolf, pretty much to mark Michael Laudrup, and I think that means they switched. To a four-four-two with a sweeper, so Immel in goal, Herget, who we spoke about last time, kept his place, um, despite a stinker, really, against Italy. Uh, bookval Kola, Bremer, in the, the rest of the defence, midfield, Lipbarski, Rolf, Mateus, Olaf, Ton, but, but Ton in particular had kind of freedom to go where he liked. Uh, front two, Klinsmann and Vola, and the Denmark team, I mean... <sighs> They've, they've all, they were always slightly, um, well, it was very fluid under Sepiontek, but this was weird. They put Morten Olsen, who was 38 and a been suffering dizzy spells before the game, into midfield against Mateus, which doesn't sound like a cure for dizziness. But um, so they switched themselves. They to a back four. They brought in Peter Schmeichel in goal, who at that stage we knew nothing about. 24 years old, I think, still playing at home. Uh, John Sieverbeck, Lars Olsen yeah. became the sweeper. Ivan Nielsen, Jan Heinzer... Uh, Midfield was Kim Vilfort, Morten Olsen, Soren Lerbu. Laudrup was sort of in a free role, I think. And then up front, Prebodelkja and Fleming Paulson. So, um, yeah, both teams made, yeah, as I said, Germany made the one change, uh, Rolf for Berthold. And I think Denmark brought in Lars Olsen. Uh, I think they made three changes. But anyway, those were the two teams and systems, yeah.
0: So it's an afternoon game and it. Uh, well, it's sort of late afternoon, isn't it? To kick off is five fifteen, uh, mm. in Gelsenkirchen, and um, it is strange that matches that are as important as this, the middle game in a in a, a group match, um, played at different times, because Germany Germany had won, uh, sorry, had drawn the first game, Denmark had lost, and so um, the teams playing later, which we'll come to in a moment, in uh, Italy and Spain, kind of. Have a better idea of what they need to do, but um, West Germany and Denmark are, are, are kind of going in blind. The hosts have got the the draw, and obviously they've got the pressure behind them. They kind of need to win this, so um, and they get a decent start. Rob,
2: yeah, well, they get an only goal, but before that, I think the kind of moment that sums up the game is LKRT takes the kickoff and Pierre Lebarski, who's about five foot four, just chops him after about two seconds. It's like one of those videos you see of Vinnie Jones cleaning someone out after the kickoff. And it set the tone for a game in which Germany, despite not being that bigger side, actually, bullied Denmark and were allowed to bully them by, I think it was Bob Valentine, a Scottish referee. Uh, but anyway, yes. Um, then they scored after about... There, there was a great stat, actually. I think it was Barry Davis commentating it. Said that in every game that year, not just at the Euros, every game Denmark had gone behind in the first quarter of an hour. And they did it again. Um, Lerby, who was a great player, but like many, is kind of on the way down here. Just a weird back header that went straight to Vola. Schmeichel made a really good save, actually, to kind of when he... Th- not quite star jump, but when he just throws himself. Save would become very familiar with. Um, But it rebounded to Klinsberg, who kind of put it past. I think it was Lars Olsen on the line. And from there, you kind of never really felt Denmark were going to do much. They just looked... The same as we said against Spain, really. They just looked at a team that reached the end of the line, really. I think that the changes that um, Piontek made brought the average age down a bit, but they, but not much. They just looked a team who, yeah, just it was a tournament too many. I can't think of many better examples of that actually, um, of a, a team who were kind of borderline great or certainly very, very good, and just they just fell off a cliff in this tournament. Um, yeah, it was almost like an equivalent of the. um, the uh, Andrew Strauss's England team, which became Alistair Cooks, who lost the Ashes series 5-0, mm. kind of um, just, just suddenly completely collapsed and they were gone and that was it. Martin?
1: Yeah, it, it, that narrative of Denmark starts in those previews I mean it's it's contemporaneous at the time this is it this is the last chance there's surely at the, the the absolute end of this song and even Barry Davis mentions in commentary I'm sure it's quite a sunny day um and mm. the shadows of the stadium you know those the shadows of the stand behind are, are, are making their way across the pitch and he, he says something the shadows are creeping over the end of of this fine era of, of, of Danish football and kind of questioning where they could possibly go next because this this was their big chance, right? With all these great players and how they thrilled people, especially in Mexico. But for those who were there, Barry Davis being one, it, we would only get highlights, I suppose, as Euro 84 uh, instead of that kind of wall-to-wall coverage. Um, they were an exciting team and, and isn't a shame, really, that this generation has not managed to win something. Little did they know, of course, that, that, that four years later, <laughs> they'd, they'd be holding the bloody thing um, in a very different way um, shall we say, less fluid in, 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 yeah, and in romantic and glamorous kind of style um but that that just dominates both the written um, accounts um, at the time but also in commentary this um, because Denmark had gripped the neutral i think they they had um, um, been interesting i think for 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 British viewers and it, it really was this kind of farewell and i mean what a farewell they, they you're right rob West Germany were just all over them right from the start. They didn't get going. Um, and it, very interesting watching West Germany back for me is that that's a prelude, clearly. That goal, Klinsmann just yeah. sniffing around, just being there, not taking too long to, to, to still have a bit of work to do because that ball's mm. kind of what parries back from, from Schmeichel. Uh, and he just changes his body shape and just, guides it into the back of the net um and a lot more of that fluidity um that of course we would see two years later in a very powerful powerful way Uh, and just some of those names you'll talk about the second goal scorer i'm sure with um a comment a commentator's favorite cliche um but they're just starting now to kind of come into that 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 consciousness and we'd be um much more um in in sync with those just one thing before i pass over just about that how interesting that, that Barry Davis's pronunciation of uh, Lothar Matthias is Lothar yeah. and Yeah, in a similar right. way to I think it's Tony Gubba in, in Euro 96 when the French team is is kind of lining up and he's, you know, number 10 Zinedine Zidane. Um, they've just, you know, that's the name that's there. Give it my best <laughs> name. But it's not yet in the the kind of consciousness is this is this is how you say that name because this is the great Matthias, this is the great Zidane. Um and it's still that little precursor to to that that kind of um ubiquitous um understanding that would that would come later on.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering just like about uh, about the bottle that used to come out at Christmas because that was Matthias rather than uh, the German <laughs> fielder. But uh Rob?
2: Oh yeah, just a couple of quick things. So Klinsmann, that was the first of how many goals in major tournaments by major, I mean World Cup and European Championship. Have a guess. Fifteen. I
0: was going to say fifteen as
2: well.
0: I was also going to say fifteen. Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah, right up to.
1: did he go up to year 2000 or did he stop in the
2: No, 98. I think. He may have played. Into, no, he didn't play until that. Anyway, but yeah, I was going to say, Volo would obviously becomes a great World Cup winning partnership, but the time Volo was really struggling, subbed in both games, and our old friend Paul Brighton, who wasn't doing Beck and Bear any favours by sledging the team, apparently before this game in his column he said they'd be better off picking the stadium janitor than Rudy Volo. <laughs> it's, it's quite amusing also to contrast that, we'll probably might come to end Hughes slagging off Bobby Robson in England in the Daily Mirror. And, you know, it's fine. But it's kind of, there's none of that kind of, um, I was going to call it wit, which I'm not sure it is, just say stadium janitor. But there is something quite amusing about that, whereas Hughes is just basically, they're all shit, send him home. Um, But yes. um, I
0: was going to say, Rudy Fowler is an interesting character in some ways. It's just, there's a, a kind of, comic potential kind of clings to him it's it's nothing to do with his play obviously he's an outstanding forward won world cup and various other uh honors i mean yeah even when that happens you, you can't help having a kind of wry smile even though all your sympathy is with his his look as he's being sent off and the the Mrs. That's Slocum the, that, hair always amused yeah. me. I don't know who said that once. But even in this game, he looks kind of bemused and lost and and mm. say a slightly comic tragic figure. But, it's, but, um, but does show. You know, he, he might it's point easy. to a silverware rather more extended than mine own, so maybe I yeah, should
2: stop. <laughs> It's interesting how careers develop, though. You look look at this tournament. Vola's 28, I think, and a lot of people think time's up. We end up going to the yeah. a Cup, but also playing really well in... Um, and 94, he has got a few goals. Then you get someone who will come to Viali in Italy's game, he's 23, has the world ahead of him. But actually, he said the only goal he'll ever score at a major tournament. Um, so it is interesting. You just you just, I just don't know. I always remember this with, um, it's a bit of an aside, but when Jamie Redknapp come on and play really well against Scotland, bringing that year in 96, then he got injured and missed the rest of the tournament. Venables would have used him. He would have played against Germany in the semi instead of Platt, I think. And at the time, it didn't really matter, you know, what's he. Twenty-two, young, good-looking, you futures ahead. Sometimes it just never comes. It's Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Different manager didn't like him quite. You know, Venable stays. Redknapp has a much longer England career. I think. I think Venable's bet Joe Love at the Sunday Times that Redknapp would play more games for England than Beckham. But anyway, I, I'm digressing. Anyway, sorry.
0: But I was, I was going to say about what what comes, and you've already mentioned that that um, or Martin did that Denmark are only four years away from holding the damn thing up in the air, uh, even if it was a very strange route, because although we're not doing Euro 92, we ought to remind you that they got in because Yugoslavia had to turn down their place because the Balkans was being balkanized violently as opposed to, uh, well, in fact, that's usually how the Balkans gets balkanised. Um, <laughs> but they, they slid in through the back door and ended up winning it with John Jensen's uh, extraordinary goal. Um, is there any sign, apart from michael laudrup um being you know obviously a, a world class player in his mid 20s is there any sign of that danish um win to come no. in just four years no. time because i couldn't see any <laughs>
2: No, and of course, Loudrup didn't play, his brother did. Um, yeah, no. And looking at the team, I think only three maybe survived, three or four survived. So Schmeichel and Fleming Poulsen were really good players, great in Schmeichel's case. John Sieverbeck and I think Lars Olsen, but none of them at that stage. Polson was really promising, Schmeichel was promising, but no more than that, I would say. Um, so no, essentially, yeah. I don't, to be honest, I don't think there were any signs of it as late as kind of April, 1992, <laughs> there weren't, yeah. weren't, like, weren't in, no, there weren't. In fact, there weren't any signs of it until probably until Lars Aylstrup puts some 2 one up in the last group game yeah. against France. Yeah. And possibly even later than that, you know, because you think they're going to get stuffed by the Netherlands. I don't you think they're going to get stuff. And I, I don't want to diminish it because it's one of my favorite kind of football fairy tales, particularly Schmeichel's role in it. Um, but no, essentially.
1: But the tournament teams don't you don't see them coming. They they are of that no, solar there. Um yeah. just that, that 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 particular mix, players in form, relax for other reasons, Gary, that you mentioned in terms yeah. of you know, that no stress, no build up, just, just kind of go and do it. Um and set up in a way that can do the best for five games, which is all you needed to do in in, in in those days anyway. Um so of course there wouldn't be talk about that. There's the talk here, and Rob, you will know this better than me, but there is a kind of a golden generation type feel to how people discuss Denmark and certainly are discussing them now that yes. this is the end of that big chance and, you know, nations of uh, the size absolutely. of Denmark, which is similar population to Scotland, don't get those opportunities often. And this is, it's a shame because they've entertained so much, um but this is, this is, this is that for them. And that that was, that was the 1980s and we won't see it again for, for maybe another, 30 40 years who knows and um yeah uh how, how funny life works because portugal say a wee bit like that they, they won you know 2016 not really expected not really that fancied and very prosaically through the, the the gears whereas of course the teams that went before were um um rhapsodized and, and um funny old game as someone once said
0: uh, I can't help it as an Everton fan hearing the phrase "This is the 1980s" and it might not happen again for 30 or 40 <laughs> years, and thinking, "Oh, and the rest, and the rest." Well, let's let's uh, take a bit of contrast because, unlike Denmark, which the narrative was all about on the slide and a team falling apart, for Italy it was very much the the new team, the under 21s that had been promoted, the project that was working towards uh, Italia 90 and they come up against spain who had uh, beaten denmark in the first match italy had drawn against west germany um so both sides kind of needing a win um and uh, and italy uh no spoilers uh, italy get it with the viali goal that you've already mentioned rob so rob if you can take yeah, us to the team and then martin go into the match
2: yeah i just should quickly round up the west germany game by Talking about the second goal oh, really briefly. Oh, yeah, fair enough, yeah. So, there's a really good header from from Olaf Ton late on. Um, Like, a really good header. He's about 10 yards out and he powers it both over Schmeichel and over the defender on the line. Yeah. It's a very, for a, for a little guy, for anyone, it's a very good header. But anyways, it was quite a big moment. I think Mike was talking about cliches. So, he played for Schalke and that was his last game on his home ground because he'd already agreed to move to Bayern Munich. Um, so, it's quite a sweet moment. Um.
0: I think, and
2: uh, yes, Italy, Italy. So,
0: sorry, yeah, yeah, Italy. Um, Barry Barry Davis, sorry, just shows a bit of that, um, that sort of unsophistication that we're not used to these days by referring to Schalke 04 instead of, Mm. of course, null fear, as we would all, (laughs) which I rather enjoyed. But sorry, Rob, I'm gonna um, hand hand over to you for the teams. Mm. Um,
2: so yes. Italy were unchanged, uh, 4-4-2-ish, Zengo and goal, Bergami, Ferry, Beresi is a sort of sweeper. Maldini, 19, winning his fifth cap, and there was a lot to talk about him before the game because he was directly up against Michel, who had, had been and was Spain's best player, had been their best player against Germany uh, against Denmark. Midfield, Donadoni on the right, and then the other three, De Janini and Ancelotti, kind of, none of them really put on the left, it's quite an interesting midfield, it's quite narrow, so Maldini's almost doing the work of two men at the age of 19, then um the Sampdoria, the terrible twins, Mancini, Vialli up front, uh, Spain were also 4-4-2, pretty much, Um, although now we might call it four two two two. but anyway, Zibzeretta, Thomas, Andrew Neuer, Sanchez, and Soler came in for the captain Camacho, who had Knack at his shoulder trying to maim Provenelkia in the first game. Uh, Midfield, Michel sort of playing from the right. Gallego, Victor, the two kind of central, kind of bruises a bit. Gordillo, more kind of classically left-sided. And then up front, Butcher Grano and Baquero, who later became a very good attacking midfielder, I think, under Cruyff at Barcelona. Uh, But yeah, those are the teams. Martin.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a cancellation, really, in that, that, that first half um, from what I've seen. The, the, the mm. Michel Maldini thing uh, is, is really interesting because hadn't Michel signed a big deal at, at, at Real Madrid? Did half you know, a 10 million a year.
2: Deal?
1: Yeah, I mean, this was huge. Yeah. A seven-year it deal. was I think, seven years. I mean, yeah, I think Jim McLean from Dundee United getting involved in that in that, that, that kind of lens of contract. But yeah, 10 grand a week. Um, And this boy who, not to... Overdo the cliches tonight. Became a man that night. I mean, he really, really, really did a job on him. Um, hounded him, um, and it was a bit filthy in the first half. From the the highlights that, that we we have access to now. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Well, laughs> back... yeah, very very
2: punch, yeah. punches Michelle on the side of the head at one point. Yeah. When they're kind of yeah. grappling, at a cool free kick was hilarious. Gets booked for it, but not sends
1: off. Yeah, let them know they're there. Chances in the second half became a, b- a bit more open because, you know, Italy have only got that point. Spain of the win. Um, a win for Spain pretty much puts them in, in um, pole position. Um, Mancini misses a couple of good ones. But Truguenio misses. We probably should have had a shot. I think he tries to kind of cut it back or, or there's some kind of slice cross come shot going on. Um, Giulio Cavalli has a harder effort at coming out in the left hand side. But it does get a bit open, a bit chaotic. And then, I uh, incredibly think he's his only tournament goal yeah. guy, the, the Giannico Viali goal, because it is beautiful. Altabelli's involved that kind of... Um, um, we talk about poise or lack thereof, I think, in, in later games um, in, in, in this recording. But he's got it still. I know he's coming to the end of his career. Um, but Viale gets into that space as a Great use of 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 um space, a great turn, and he doesn't mess around. I mean it's just drilled right into the, the to the bottom corner. Could Zubisaret have done a bit better? Well, I mean, there's a question that would echo through the years to come um, yeah. as well. A Huge <laughs> name in football. I always felt maybe slightly um overpriced for for, for, for the, the kind of quality, but I guess keepers get get tired with that um uh, a, a wee bit. Um because Viala could have squared it, right? I mean, he he could have looked for mm. um someone else gonna you know, pop it on the box. But there's just that immediate clinical um finish, the kind of uh finish that had given him such a, a reputation even at, at, at 23, even a lot of high hopes. Um and just that that youthful exuberance of that that Italy team, maybe with the freedom that listen, this is a trial run, guys. We know when the pressure's really on, it's gonna be on in a couple of years. We yeah. need to be ready for that. Um but yeah, one goal, and that—that's. I was going to say all three points, but that's not the case, is it? We still. On <laughs> points. Um, yeah. But but yeah, Italy then back in, in in control of 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 their own destiny in that 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 group.
0: I mean, Rob, there's a lot of the the kind of talk in the in the press was as they like to do with a golden generation or with a group of young players coming through. Is that this was a a kind of paradigm shift for Italian football, getting away from not so much the system of Catanaccio, but certainly the kind of attitude of Catanaccio, that first we don't score, and then if we get a goal, good. But even if we don't get a goal, at least you haven't scored. And yet the, the results tend not to bear this out. But there, there, was, there was much more positive play, wasn't there? There was a sense in which they were going to give a chances to Mancini and to Viali to see if they could back up their youthful promise with goals.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, what I would say is this is quite a low scoring period in international football. Obviously, we're, yeah. we're coming towards Italian 90, when it which changes everything. And actually, Italy before that I have a hilarious run of friendlies, which is just 0-0, 0-0, 1-0, 0-0, 0-0, but that's another... Uh, story you know they did they were they were quite bright and they were positive and and also you're right it's one of sport's kind of most seductive ideas isn't it a young team on a journey everyone loves it um it's probably become a bit annoying now because it's always tarred with the phrase golden generation back then it wasn't but yeah you can absolutely see the excitement so i was looking at a team of the outfield players seven or age, 23 or 24 plus maldini at 19 so yeah you'd be massively excited about that. That I was thinking also, how good must it be when a player like Maldini emerges, particularly in a really specific position, like left back, you just think I could just put that to bed for 15 years, yeah. that's all fine. <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just amazing, isn't he? He's so composed. and Michel, we shouldn't underestimate how good he was, like you say, half a million a year, which everyone's like, Wow, Mike Tyler makes a joke about because he and St John's a co-commentator, like, isn't that what you and Greasy are on? Um, but like mm. it's huge money in the day, and he just just completely takes him out of like, to the point where Michelle goes off. I think. Just for the goal, ostensibly injured, but there were a few suggestions that they just didn't fancy it. Whether that's true, I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. Well, they are really kind of quite a likable side. Viali and Mancini, very creative, and Viali, obviously, as we would come to know, like incredibly charismatic as a player and a bloke. Um, yeah, and they were good. What I would say though, the standard so far in the tournament hasn't been that great. I think yeah. most people say they were the best team in it at this point. I think Ridis Meikles made that comment. After the second round of games. Um, so it's not like they're kind of wowing everyone the way that I don't know, even the way Denmark did at Mexico 86 when they won all yeah. the games in a group of death. But they yeah, they were impressive and they were kind of likable and and certainly more forward thinking. And I'd love to know whether how much of that was Saki inspired or whether actually Vicini was already doing this with them when he managed them at the end 21 level. Um I, I thought it'd be too much. A kind of stretch of research to find some under 21 games from 1985 but but i would be slightly intrigued to see how they played
0: yes
1: an interesting oh. comment rob about just the the quality and it is quite tight um we're going to talk about a game in a minute that talks a lot more open the denmark spain game from match day one was but kind of um comedically so in 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 in, in yeah, places yeah, is this because of the the really quite tight, claustrophobic nature of an eight-team tournament where one slip really, really, really puts you in puts you in bother. Um, obviously, we, the, the Euros now are completely ruined because it's, it's harder to go home than it is to, <laughs> to, to, to kind of continue. Um, and you saw England, certainly, but not England, the only team, but the, 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 the last time the Euros were, were on, effectively treating the group as an extension of a build-up and a kind of warm-up, and yeah. everyone's got a run-out now, all 23, 22 players, whatever, simply all the outfield players are for a goal, and now is when it starts. But there is there's, there's yes. we talked about Jeopardy, I think, last week, and, and that's right there from from the off, I think, in a lot of these games, because it's it's the margins seem just seem to be a lot more claustrophobic, and um and it's one of the interesting things about Deep diving into this tournament um, because it's remembered for, apart from maybe Ireland's exploits at times, but for 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 the Orange and for for that 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 team and that player or those players, um, that goal etc etc. Is there much depth beneath that surface? And that that that's one of the interesting kind of things around it. And a lot of these games are kind of a much of a muchness. But I just wonder again, just how much the format plays into that.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it does up to a point. And, and absolutely, particularly, you know, the last 20 minutes of West Germany, Italy would be an example. Um, I wonder also whether it's just partly about laws of the game. Obviously, the back pass was still an option. Easy to shut a game down. It's kind of, kind of anything, isn't it? It's always a pull between attack and defence. So as time goes on, people get more cynical and learn ways. We're seeing it now a little bit in modern football time wasting. It's become so much easier to shut games down. Plus, and the Germany, West Germany, Denmark game is a good example. Yellow cards were still kind of an event. You had to chin someone on the side of the head, like Ferry did with Michell. Um, So that made it easy, probably, to stop games. Um, I don't know. Have you got any thoughts, Gary? I guess it's, as always, a combination of things. Because it's, the one thing I would say, sorry, pass over, problem. is that. The teams on paper look attacking, you know. Yeah, all yeah, of yeah. them pretty much have got sweepers like Kooman. I mean, there's a point in England where Riker just buggers off down the right wing and he's one of the centre backs. There are very few what we would now call holding midfielders. So, or is
1: in football's evolution, perhaps, with the obvious exception of a game we're just about to come to, where defences and attacks are just well matched. The style, the pace, mm. uh, the, the the technique is probably just in a zone where it. it because even we were talking about Italy and, and, and West Germany, Italy are, they, they have a lot of energy, they have a lot of purpose, they're, they're, they're trying to make things happen. It's just bloody difficult to to get through at times. Yes. And to, to to create more than the kind of three or four decent shots and goal. Now, football's always going to change, and I've got kind of question for later um, uh, uh, around that. But um, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe it's just at a time where it's you know, bat against ball quite quite nicely. You know what I mean? Exactly
2: it's 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 exactly. Very quickly, before I pass over to Gary, the best league in the world is Serie A, where goals really are at a premium. You know, we're coming off the back of a season when Ian Rush scored seven. Top score, I think, is Maradona with 15, but that includes penalties. That's in 30 games or a maximum of 30 games. So, yeah, it's, um, I think you're right. The balance is always kind of shifting, isn't it? Um, and I think at that point, it's just slowly crawling towards Italian 90, which, although a tournament I think we're all fond of because of the kind of drama and human side of it. Um, it had a notoriously low goals per game. I think two point two. Same in this tournament. So yeah, I think it is just that point of evolution, definitely, because there is quite a lot of and play. Or having said that, we're only watching highlights, or I am. So maybe you know, maybe maybe the full yeah. games would um, be too thrilling. Sorry, Gary. Well,
0: mate, I was not surprised, but I was amused. I think is the is the right word. And um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to England against the Netherlands, but you always think of the Netherlands, you always think of Cruyff, you think of of total football, you think of sophisticated football, and yet Mark Van Basten's third goal is the epitome of, <laughs> of the the English style with a near post corner that's nodded on and the big fella at the uh, far post gets it home. And what I, that made me think a little bit, and again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back 30 odd years and I'm I'm looking at highlights so there will be as many counter examples as there are examples of this but one of the the characteristics certainly since Spain 2008 I would suggest in international football and Barcelona possibly a little bit earlier than that is you can almost see it's almost visible how a team are trying to get an overload in different parts of the pitch they're trying to get a man free they're trying mm. to pull the ball one way pull the defenders another way and get get the overload down the side or with the underlapping fullback or whatever it might be which which opens up the two on one that they're looking for and then the, the kind of trap is sprung there are examples of this in this uh tournament and one would be out belly passing it to Viali who's running it outside him and then puts the ball away in this match. But they seem to be more ad hoc. They seem to be more yes, on the hoof rather than the result of the kind of tactical analysis and data which is around around today. Um so you can see you can see that the the overload, I mean, ever since the days of of Alf Ramsey, was it with overlapping fullbacks, that that the overload has been an extremely useful tool to be able to pull out of the box at all levels of football but I don't think it's I don't think it's the end point of sophisticated thinking in this tournament it's more that the players have got together there's a couple of good passes A uh, uh, guys dribble the ball past someone there's a good run and he picks him out um, maybe that's being a little unfair mm. to these players but there is a, a level of tactical sophistication partly driven by data partly Driven by the drilling that goes into players these days and the professionalism and everything else, which does make for a soulless game. But the the difference or the the reverse of it here is that the game isn't soulless because so much of it is off the hoof. You know, all of a sudden somebody shoots from 40 yards and you say, Well, well what's he doing that for? Um, but at the same time, it 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 can look a bit random, it can look a bit kind of obvious, it can look a bit unsophisticated and so it's, mm. it's, a, it's, a kind of, it's a kind of interesting contrast I think
2: I think that's fair and what to me is that's just the nature evolution there will come a time in history when someone's doing a pod on Pep Guardiola's Man City and saying how unsophisticated they look which is quite frightening <laughs> actually god knows god knows what level that like, you'd have to be up for that but yeah I I, I would agree with you I know I, I wouldn't say there was no coaching going on you know you clearly had celebrated coaches back then like me calls it even you know Dave Sexton in England but it clearly wasn't to the level it is now, Nowhere near. Definitely ad hoc is exactly the word, I would say, yeah. or phrase. Have you got anything to add, Martin, before we move forward?
1: No, happy to move. Okay.
0: I bet you are, so given we- what
1: comes next. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we'll, we'll go to Ireland against the USSR. Say so a mismatch in populations, a mismatch in land mass. But um, what I'm going to suggest is that it's not quite as much of a mismatch in terms of their football visionaries as managers. But we'll come to that in a moment, because we need to start with the teams. And Rob, you have the so-called no-hopers by Harry Harris in the Daily Mirror, Ireland. The Republic I know,
2: I know, I saw that. Um Yeah, so Ireland 442, one change. Paul McGrath had problems with his knee, as he did for most of his career. Okay. So Kevin Sheedy came in to play as the left-sided central midfielder, which was interesting, Um and actually played really well and made Ireland's... I mean, obviously, you lose something when you lose McGrath, but in terms of on the ball, he actually made Made Ireland play a lot better, I think. So, Pat Bonner, goal, defense, Chris Morris, Mick McCarthy, Kevin Moran, Chris Houghton, midfield, Ray Houghton, who was fantastic, Roddy Whelan, Kevin Sheedy, Tony Galvin, who apparently was a Russian speaker, which i yeah, he mind Bob yeah. Uh I'm from French,
0: uh, a mate of yeah. mine went, went to so as well, so he did Russian at the schools of monarch and east European studies. That's fantastic. Uh, so ceased as it was called then. Yeah. That's, that's sorry.
2: up front Frank's no no up front Frank stab to John Aldridge. Uh USSR also 442, but with a sweeper. Uh Desaiyev, the great keeper. for Validza who came in for Litovchenko, I think he was injured, Kuznetsov, sweeper, Kidia Chulin, Demianenko at left back, midfield Zavarov. Mikhailachenko, Elenikov who came in for Besanov, and Vasily Ratz of course, and then up front Belanov and Protosov, uh, who were potentially lethal. And interestingly, actually talking about visionaries, one thing, before that, Jack Shelton was worried about the long ball over the top to Protosov, who was really quick. Um, so he wanted Pat Bonner to play as a sweeper-keeper, which is almost one of the first references, first times I've seen that referenced. Um, yeah, which I just thought was interesting because, you know, Jack, the Island's play is fairly rudimentary, although I think I was probably too harsh on it on the last pod. And they actually they played bloody well in this game. But there are loads of examples of Charlton just being ahead of his time. I find it really interesting. Um, a lot of this game, they pin the USSR on their own third. Just, you know, the minute ball goes into someone, they're pressing. Now, it's not as quite sophisticated as it is now, and it certainly tends to be a one- or two-man job, but it's still very unusual and ahead of its time. Um, so, yeah. And then that, that leads to a very... Very dominant performance for most of the game.
0: So Martin um, Pat, Pat Bonner didn't much care for the uh, sweeper keeper role. He was he was very anti it. But take us through how this match uh, plays out then.
1: Yeah, when I think of it, sweeper keepers—that's not a name that that, that regularly brings <laughs> to me, Given how badly he dealt with uh, the pass back role, although technically his fault or well, not his fault, but he was the kind of final straw link for the pass back law coming into play, given how many minutes the, the ball Cubs, was in yeah. yeah, in the yeah, Polish yeah. Island's game with Egypt in um, the, the, the World Cup. Yeah, this this is a different Ireland side than, than played in that, that Derby match, that FA Cup match that we, we spoke about yesterday. And from memory, again, thinking two years later, the, the same kind of pattern probably exists in the, the, the World Cup um, group. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it would be for England, who, who played the Netherlands in a very different way than they, they they played against Ireland. So it's just one of those fixtures. The last time around that that, that, that induces a different kind of um, perspective. You're absolutely right, Rob. In terms of the pressing, how coordinated it is compared to today's levels, is another um, question. But it it isn't ad hoc. It's not by accident. It's designed, mm-hmm. and it does its job because um, you know Ireland do even with Paul McGrath being injured, they have central midfielders who can who can use a ball, and they can use it well, and they they have a lot more space. The pace of the game is like a different sport than the the, the England game, and that brings out um, a side to that island team that's probably um, underrated, misunderstood, because of um, some of the more direct and and, and rudimentary uh, rudimentary, um, ways they they play some of the more uh, memorable games. Chances at both ends is a lot of um a lot of players prepared to take a shot on from range, yeah. shall we say. Um <laughs> Oleg, Oleg Kuznetsov nearly scored, nearly puts the USSR ahead. It's a lovely move. He's a wee pot shot from from outside the box, which Oleg loved to do. Um he came to Rangers a few years later, of course, and in his debut nearly took the post away um from, from a kind of similar effort. Um because
0: yeah, usually with Scotland in football it's the crossbar that gets taken away. Indeed,
1: right? yeah, it <laughs> gets damaged. Yeah. Um but because Netsov kind of strolling around I have to tell the story because it's just, it's just too good not to. In Glasgow, they uh, one of the, we have a lot of curry houses in Glasgow, but um, Mr. Sings is um one of the best and I would urge you to 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 go there if you're ever <laughs> in the vicinity. Uh, and Sati Singh who owned it um took Rangers to his heart and he had two sons uh one of them was called mark walters sing and the other was called oleg kuznetsov thing and oleg still, <laughs> uh, still works at the restaurant i think to this day so um the impact there the cultural legacy of, of oleg kuznetsov um continues on um <laughs> what kuznetsov couldn't do uh ronnie Whelan did in terms of scoring um a, a quite um brilliant goal it Again, it looks that kind of up and under, um, kind, of, kind of comes from a throw and I thing, and maybe not not quite yeah. dealt with like the the, the England goal, um, but it is as sweet as a nut. Um, and again, one of those players, and you find them not a great scorer of goals, but a scorer of great goals, and he he mm. he, he was good for that. Was was Ronnie Whelan, um, and you just see this belief kind of infused through the Irish performance. Um, Nearly another beauty in the, the the start of the second half. Should have had a penalty um, when Dashev um, cleans yeah. out. I think it's Galvin. Um, yeah, you see this quite a lot, and it, it it may have calmed down over the years in co-commentary. Um, you saw, it, I think, um, with John Watson and. The England game that we'll come to with a potential penalty when Watson is incandescent, that they're even arguing then. No, well, maybe then. Well, actually, no, but Tony, um, Liam Brady, who's on CoCom's, that's never a penalty, it's never a penalty. And then, yeah, you see another replay, and well, what? Oh, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's as much of a stonewall as you, you could possibly find. Galvin should have made it too, and Dasaev is, is injured in the, um, the, the process there, um, and has to has to go off. Um, the goalkeeper's name that comes on, um, Victor Chanov, um, from Dynamo Kiev. Uh, again, um, good for my memory because Kiev had, had lost the Rangers in the first round of the European Cup, and it, it go on to YouTube and find this game because Kiev are one up from the first leg. They're in control, and he tries a kind of gentle. Of off spin instead of just rolling or kicking the ball out, fumbles it completely, hits the the, the, the back of Ali McCoy, so it rolls to Mark Falco, who just rolls it into the back of the net. So it's, it's that Victor Channel <laughs> a bit of a disaster. Um, anyway, Ireland should have been two up, as I said. John Aldridge then tries something that I think he'd maybe done for Liverpool in the FA Cup semi final, um, that, se- that season, and what Marco Van Basten mm-hmm. would go on to do very well. The, the new one of this tournament, which is a kind of volley from 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 the edge of the box, doesn't quite go to plan, but it's not a million miles away. And then, just as they've done against the Dutch, really, um, they they find that 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 goal. Um, belanov must be some age by now. Um, when was he World Player of the Year? Maybe the, the late the late seventies. No, 86. no, it's
2: after eighty six. Um, he's not actually that old. He looks about fifty, but I think he's in yeah, his mid twenties. Really 20- 20s or sort of late 20s anyway but yeah uh it's his last major tournament i'd like to know more yeah. about his career arc to be honest yeah um, but anyway
1: what a touch um i think we talked offline about this that, that even touch. um if uh protosov wasn't following up he still had created enough space for himself to go on and uh and and, and do the job protosov did it um made it 1-1 and for all that control and 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 hope and, and impetus that ireland had they could have easily lost this game you know chris hutton makes an absolute mm. dog's breakfast or something in the box um uh, again it doesn't kind of come to something um and it ends up one one which obviously suits the ussr because they they had the win uh, um early on puts both of them on what three points and with a say with a say in the the the, the end of the group which we will come to but Probably one has to to see a, a, a chance miss for Ireland to, to effectively book the book the place so they, they should done. have won this game. They should have won it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Rob. I mean, yeah, that was my feeling.
0: That they should have won it. What, what was yours? Yeah, uh, uh,
2: uh, ab- no, absolutely. In his European Championship history, which is really good, Jonathan O'Brien calls this their best ever performance. Ireland. I don't know if he meant, means to that point or ever, um, but I certainly wouldn't dispute it to that point. They played so well against a really good team. Had the better chances. Yeah, a couple of things are interesting. So this is Aldridge's 17th game. He still hasn't scored for Ireland, which is crazy because he's been banging in 30 a season for Liverpool or Oxford for about five years now. Um, He actually played really well, though, again, with the pressing and everything else, um, but just missed a pretty good chance. Um, And the other thing I wanted to say was Whelan's goal. So it's a long throw all the way to the far side. and Whelan, I mean, I'm sure everyone could see it in their mind's eye like an acrobatic volley from the edge of the area that just flies in but actually comes off his shin and what i would ask both of you what you think is does that actually matter if acrobatic volleys do you remember the famous way Rooney one against man city yeah, that's yeah. off his shin as well i'm sure there are others and i don't know if it matters or not i really don't um
0: i, I have a view yeah on i don't know how i feel it, about it but i
2: thought i'd ask you to
0: yeah I, I have a view go. on this because i thought ground, you might go. you can never tell yeah <laughs> <laughs> At the ground, you can never tell, you know, no. the excitement <laughs> and the spectacle and everything just just sort of carries you away. And it's a it's a goal and all of that. And of course, it's all done in the thousandth of a second, the contact. But it's when you get the TV pictures and you look at it and you think, oh, it wasn't quite as good. It wasn't quite as clean. And I think sometimes you can have too much information. Let's hold it in our head. The first time we saw it on telly, or if we were fortunate yeah, enough to be at the that. ground and and do it that way, I think. But yeah, um, too much information, really. Martin, what's your view?
1: Well, unless you meant to shin it, <laughs> then, <laughs> then it's not controlled, accurate, um, and 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 brilliant. It doesn't matter. It goes in the back yeah. of the net, and the arc is still the same, and it still looks as beautiful and uh, and everything else. But. Um, yeah, points off for, for precision and, and, and intent because, yeah, as I said, unless you're greasy, <laughs> I'm so good, I don't even have to put my laces through this. I can do this with my shin, which is very doubtful, but who cares? Yeah,
0: yeah. well, well I, if you said
2: I, I, a spin bowler would call it natural variation, but I don't know if you can get right away with
1: yeah.
2: that. Right there, I, I, yeah, it's an I, interesting I, subject, but you're right, ultimately. I mean, and, and in, in fairness, Whelan did say it was a fluke, um, so yeah, I see both sides, but you're right, it's all about the moment, isn't it? I mean, bloody hell, first time you see it. Not only have Ooh. they gone ahead again; they've done it with a flying volley, in the area straight from a big McCarthy throw. It. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. they are very oh, few that are are from the game absolutely game. clean. But uh, Keith Weller scored an incredible goal for Leicester, which is straight from a, a, a um, corner, wasn't it? Uh, this wasn't from a corner, but that same kind of thing. And I think uh, Scholes did mm. one as well leave from a corner. But sorry, Rob, go on.
2: Yes, and I know. Funny enough, Mateus is trying it in every game in this tournament as well and connecting pretty well like corner to the edge of the area. Um what was that? I was forgot what I was going to say now. Um no it's gone forget it. Yeah. Gone.
0: It'll it'll be back. And of course there's uh, some more pods to come. <laughs> uh but we're we're moving into the fourth and final match of uh, our deep dive into game day 2 of Euro 88 and it's a game that I'm sure many of our listeners will uh, recall uh, sometimes with a, a sense of uh, frustration, even anger. Um, it's the it's the famous England one, Netherlands three. Rob, take us through the games, uh, through the um, teams, please.
2: Yeah, so just a quick thing on the context. Obviously, they've both lost 1-0 on the Sunday, so pretty much do or die. However, at this point, because this is before the Ireland game, so in theory you could lose and still go through, but obviously that's not a good business model. Pretty much both teams knew if you lose, you're gone. Um, so England made two changes from the Ireland game. Trevor Stephen, who hadn't been fit for that game, replaced Chris Waddle. Glenn Hoddle replaced Neil Webb. So it's kind of 4-4-1-1. Four, four, one, one. Shilton, Stevens, Wright, Adam, Sansom, Stephen Hoddle, Robson, Barnes, Beardsley, Lideker. One thing that's interesting, according to the Mirror, the players the day before the game had a meeting and voted for Brian Robson to go into the defence because defence have been so vulnerable without Terry Butcher who broke his leg. Um, I mean, he had played, it doesn't say whether they want him as a sweeper or just as a centre-back. He played a little bit as a sweeper on the Ferguson this year before, Uh, but Bobby Robson apparently overruled the idea, which is interesting partly because it's always been suggested, although Bobby Robson denied it, that player power as it's called Hmm. led to him Hmm. bringing the sweeper against the Dutch in 1990, but anyway I thought it was a really interesting aside, it was just kind of tucked away at the, in the middle of Wonder mirrors, hatchet jobs on Bobby Robson um, yeah. Netherlands team was also two changes uh, Erwin Koeman came in for the left winger, who's Johnny Van Skip and famously Marco Van Basten, who apparently before the tournament was third, told he was third choice striker behind John Bosman and Wim Keith, where he came in for Bosman so um Van Broecklin in goal, who we knew from Forest, Van Arla, Rijkaard, Ronald Koeman, Van Tegelen, defence Midfield, Vandenberg, Valters, Arnold Muir and um, Koeman, who was sort of tucked in a little bit more than Van Skip Hullet sort of has a free role, and, and Van Basten up front and I would just say, I'll let people go into it, but I'd probably argue, this isn't a great game, but I'd argue probably the best game of the tournament, I think if
0: Yeah. you agree yeah, yeah I think so. the drama was was Maybe I suppose and maybe you make a case a for the
2: practice. maybe maybe make a case for the f- maybe make a case for the first semi-final because of all the historical meaning, which we'll come to. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um yeah, Um uh, I suppose one important point was played in the afternoon heat, and it was very hot. It's like, so it's four fifteen English time, five fifteen local time, um, which I remember being really perfect because it. It was obviously get home from school just in time for it. Anyway, England started really well. Lineker and Hoddle both hit the post. Lineker from a really tight angle after a kind of interesting move. Robson did a, tried to chip it over for Lineker. Koeman sort of lost his bearings. It hit him on the head. And then Van Broeklund was already flying out, went past him. So Lineker was onto it really sharp, threw on goal, hit the post from a very tight angle. But I mean, the yeah. kind of standard line at the time is he'd have scored it in eighty six. And he probably would, but it wasn't easy. Then Hoddle hits the post with a beautiful free kick, same post, it flies across the line. Um, and it's interesting, like, it comes to goals a bit, but you don't really associate Dutch teams with counter-attacking. but for the first half of this game in particular, all all their threat, including their goal, is on the counter. England are the ones who are doing most of the running. And it's not that I, I get the impression the Dutch are quite happy with that. I think they just thought, particularly Van Bastard, who just looks electric, long before, you know, I don't think this is being wise after the event, because just everything he does looks so sharp. And I probably thought, you know, counterattack attack with his pace and movement. Adams and Wright were vulnerable, which we've spoken about before. Um, And yeah, I I thought the first half was really interesting. And England were kind of mugged a little bit by the first goal. But I'll let let one of you talk about that.
0: Yeah, uh, just before I throw to you, uh, Martin, um, it was interesting, even though you, I can remember, tabloid press so it, it was interesting to read this kind of that on the one hand we're gonna win we're gonna win you know we're we're in oh, England yeah. and it's our right and on the other hand but if we don't win we need to sack everybody and <laughs> nobody should survive you know, this kind of all or nothing can this you know as as, as we're obviously just to know we've in, grown up to country eh? yeah as two english blokes we kind of you know sort of uh have i won't say got used to it but we 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 lived with it and we became tired of it um but as a as a scotsman did it was it more than that was it like annoying was it was it irritating
1: are you suggesting yeah are you suggesting gary that <laughs> that, that, that tabloid newspapers whose only Imperative to sell people, opposing to one optimistic, one very angry, um, sensationalist positions, just to, to whip up a frenzy um, instead of having a kind of to um, debate. The, the whole right this this thing, um, the English tournament coverage um, in general is a, a hot topic up here every two years um the, the the main gripe being in a i don't know a, a group game between spain and belgium or whomever it may be um the you know in, they spend about two minutes at half time um looking at what's yeah. just taking place but cl- let's quickly get to the camp to see what you know raheem still had for his breakfast or whatever um, and yeah. that that's the kind of thing that that, that does great my counter to the well, a couple of counter to that because it doesn't really i don't really care a couple of counters i would make to people the bbc or itv in terms of their, their coverage of this and the tabloid newspapers that that coverage isn't for me it's not for the three of us it's not for proper football fans it's for the casual fan who's getting hooked yeah. into this festival in, in, in the summer and with all due respect they're not really interested in how Spain have used their shape and and uh, and the, 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 <laughs> the possession statistics in that first half and how they they've maybe just not being quite decisive enough have they uh, in the final third they want to to feed in they want to plug in to the national conversation which is the the England camp and that's for those, those fans it is not world soccer come to, to, to life, if you like, um, and that's frustrating as a, as a football fan. But I, I've kind of come to peace with what yeah. international football's like. Also, yeah, if you think that 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 myopic um, view of a tournament, here's another thing. Well, if we get through the group, we'll probably play them, and we'll probably get them in the quarters, and we'll probably get them in the semi final. That drives people up the, the the wall as well. Despite the fact, first day of Wimbledon, when you look at the draw especially when Andy Murray was was, was still um, about in a serious contender, you would start to plot a way through because that's what sports fans do. We're always looking ahead to, to, to see. Doesn't mean that you think, we, it's just assumed that you, you'll you get to the final. It's, what's the route to the final light? Because that's what we're here to kind of try and, uh, try and watch. Um, but it will be the same in Italy, it will be the same everywhere else. I, Brazil in, in 2002, I remember, because I did a wee bit of research for this for a piece years ago. Um, uh, the first game against Tunisia, which they won in the end, I think was it Tunisia. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, maybe Turkey. Turkey, actually. yeah. Uh, which Turkey. They, they got through just in the end, I think. Um, but in the paper said, "Read tomorrow's report of Brazil's win." Not the match. But read the. So the people get carried away in these 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 tournament summers anyway, and it is myopic, and it is. Um, Wildly fluctuating because that's what the fan experience is like. Anyway, put that to one side. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Hill, um, the Dutch are scared, really. You see how they, they've set up here? Um, there's fear there. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of going a bit belt, um, belt and braces. And as long as we can contain Hulot, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So, Rob, for 60
0: minutes or so, um, it wasn't that imbalanced a game, was it?
2: no not at all um we're telling him to hit the post twice we should I talk about the first goal mainly because i'm absolutely convinced it's an own goal um yeah so hula breaks down the left which he'd done a few times uh flicks this lovely kind of insouciant cross with the outside of the foot where takes it turns adam superbly and there's a lovely bit when he he returns him but then there's just another he turns it but he's not away from him and just as adam's is about to lunge he just stabs the ball again an extra touch, which takes Adams out of the game. But anyway, and then he seems to ping it across Shilton into the corner. But I remember looking at this. Ugh, don't ask me why. It was It was around the time I was doing something about basically goals that were wrongly awarded, because when Ronaldo scored eight in 2002, uh, one of them is like, clearly a known goal. One of Linica's 49 was just roofed into his own net by some yank defender with a huge mullet. But anyway, and you can see it from Linica's celebration. it was in 85 but anyway with this one i slowed it down and it looks um, and as i could be unless it's an optical illusion that van Baston's shot is going wide of the near post he gets to it first and stevens comes across him from sort of 45 degree angle and it hits him and flies into the other girl which is interesting in the context of what happens because you know this is i mean van Basten was still absolutely electric i can't stress that enough um but yeah i i don't think this is his goal um But what happens then is that's kind of slightly against the run of play, but then England almost gets done right on half-time. Vandenberg, they break another counter-attack. Vandenberg, I think from an England corner, Vandenberg plays a lovely through ball. Van Basten goes around Shilton really smoothly, and Stevens does very well to clear off the line. So England 1-0 still in it just about, and then soon after half-time you get just a classic... Oh, sorry, go on, Martin. Sorry, go on.
1: That's a foul, though. In the build-up to that, Which that, that, that first goal. Oh, I so don't the, know the,
2: the, if there is. You know, well, I wonder. It about it, it on Even by those,
1: even by that standard, that I know the tackle from behind is, is still what six years or whatever, um, four maybe four years before it gets is properly yeah. cleaned out. That's a foul, surely.
2: I looked at it a few okay. times and I couldn't make my mind because I found I found something I'd written in 2008 when I said Lydica was very probably fouled by Rijkaard, and then I um watched it. Thought so actually I'm not sure, but uh, no, it, it's yeah. It's closer. It's interesting also how smoothly the games run because there's no VAR. I mean, even just little things like um, there are loads of bad offside decisions. The thing mm. I always forgot about in the USSR game is the side makes an astonishing save from Houghton. Now it's flagged offside, yeah. but Houghton isn't offside.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And
2: there's one late. There's one later in this game where Lydica heads against the bar from a head across from Sansom. Flansom so is nowhere near offside. Yeah. Um, but the, because of all this, you know, very chilling Michel, Sanchez puts out a belly um, on the floor with an elbow to the face, I think. But it just all kind of rolls on. Now, it, these days, they would all you be... You should worse. rerun a tournament with love. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. But anyway, yes. Hang on, hang on. That's England's one and only World Cup
0: in the dustbin. You can't have that.
2: <laughs> you could definitely argue it was a foul. I, I wasn't sure when I saw it. But anyway... they England equalise after about, I think about 10 minutes in the second half, and it's just the most typical Brian Robson goal ever, basically. Yes. Um, Beardsley gives him the ball about 20, 20 yards out, plays a one-two, a really neat one-two, actually, with Lidica, who's... I always thought Lydica's link play was slightly underrated, actually. It, you know, he wasn't a bloody Mark Hughes or anything, but he was t- very neat and tidy. Um, then Robson just nips past, the defender comes across, gets their first, and then just kind of wheels it through Van Brick basically. It's just a classic Robson goal, and I think what's interesting about it as a Man United fan, you saw so many of those goals. Basically, I've had enough of this. And they are all, almost always equalisers. I think that's a really interesting kind of insight into his mindset. He scored four goals in FA Cup, some of Three of them were equalisers, including probably his best ever goal against Liverpool. He just did it so often. I can remember what against Southampton, I think, where he basically just kind of sounded a Pissing around at the back, and he just basically just wins the ball off one of shoves someone else out the way, scores, and just doesn't even celebrate. It's just like just I've had enough of this nonsense. And that was the kind of goal it was. And just on him, I mean, all the reports say he was the best player by a fair way. Um and it's quite poignant, really, that the one tournament he part from 82 that he was okay to um play, and he was fit and firing, and England was shite. Um, but yeah, I remember at the time just thinking, because my brother was. Older me would always go on about Robson, and it just felt like such a great classic Robson moment. I know you're not a huge fan of Gary, but um, I felt it was a brilliant no, in some way.
0: I, I, I just felt he was a, a little. Overrated. I'm not. I'm not a, a denigrator of Robson at all. Um, I just don't think he was an authentically all-time great player. I just think he was mm. a great player. But we're splitting hairs to mm. some extent. But what I, what I liked about the goal is that the phrase that's often used about Brian Robson is that you know he he would run through brick walls for his team, yeah, exactly. and he kind of looks like he is running yeah, through a yeah, brick wall yeah. with that goal because he's kind yeah. of lifting the legs like a kind of prop forward running with the ball. When Waiting to set up a, a mall and somehow it bubbles this way, bubbles that way. It gets over the keeper, he falls over, and
1: yeah,
0: it's the equalizer England needed. It's if someone says in, well, if someone says these days what what was Brian Robson like as a footballer? Just show them that five seconds and say, well, he was like that. Martin, that, that, was
1: my image. Yeah, that, that is my image of of Brian Robson. Maybe I came to him, maybe. A bit too late rob coming to the end of his career just as i was kind of coming to mm. into consciousness but that's exactly it the skill there but it's it's force of nature it's just powering through and yeah exactly. and you, you, your, your description of the southampton one you almost just like taking like having enough and just taking a game by the, the yeah the
2: that's exactly it
1: but i wonder and i'm not the first person to wonder this i i, I know the byproduct of that i don't think it's been healthy for for english stroke british football because that's the midfield that's the midfield kind of template the the roy race who's all over the place and is tactically maybe a bit ill-disciplined i need to fix everything that's on the park at one time give me the ball give me the ball give me the ball i'm looking at you Stephen gerrard as well and It's too much, and it's, it's it's too individual. And how do you build a kind of cohesive unit around that? And I said on a preview, just looking at some of the England lineups, that midfield, we Ray Wilkins sitting doing nothing, or someone like that who can just provide a wee bit of cover, that wee bit of tempo, and just maybe even allow that that shuttle number eight to to, to maybe go a bit further in the park, but. It's it's the, the British football bloody loves a midfielder yeah. like that and hates any that that of any kind of composure about them. Kind of well,
0: The phrase that came to mind for me is that Roy Keane would never have scored a goal like that, but he would never have needed to. And uh, that's, <laughs> that's 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 the difference between a great player in Robson and an all time great player in Keane for me. But anyway, two, Rob, go
2: on. two quick things on that. You mentioned Roy Race, maybe. Th- Think of this hilarious thing Scott Murray wrote. I think it was in The Blizzard about basically why Roy Race has ruined English football for 70 yeah. years. It's so I would seek it out to him. <laughs> The other thing that's interesting what you say, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but it, I always find it interesting that Robson regards the best performance of his career as a game against Barcelona. It's not the famous one in 84 when he was Roy Race. It's the final in 91 when he was about 36 and he played like Ray Wilkins, essentially. Now he makes both goals, but I think it's more that he I think probably. I mean, I don't know, but I assume it's because he was pleased with that kind of level of tactical sophistication. Yeah. It wasn't just beating the British way, and obviously it was a huge moment, first game, first English trophy after Heisel. But I always found that fascinating because you ask any Man United fan, anyone, and they'll say Barcelona eighty four, not ninety one. So I thought that was interesting as well. Um, he but yeah, I really play like that. No, exactly. the full
0: Rory race because no. it was raining, wasn't it? Like, really, really well, hard in that game. But
2: also, he was 36 years old, yeah. yeah. I think I, I maybe it gave him gave more satisfaction because of that and that there was more a level of um, kind of control, yeah, as you say. But anyway, yes, at that point, the game was like bang open. It's really, you know, an hour gone, one all. A draw kind of keeps him alive, but it's not great for anyone. Um, and I would say at this point, maybe then the Dutch do start to kind of get away a bit. but. The second goal still kind of comes out of nothing, doesn't it? I think it's about 70-odd minutes. and um, You were talking earlier about the, the third goal, but actually, this is Bobby Robson's quote on the second goal. Don't talk about Dutch creation. Their second goal is a sort you see every week in the third division. And he's half right. He's not totally right. Half, um,
1: half right is exactly yeah. it, Rob, because yeah, it's a exactly. shambles. You can't yeah. clear the lines again, like the, the, the Republic Island goal the game before. Jan Wouters is lucky because that, that was just a nonsense. He did not yeah. mean that. However... You finally have someone with poise, and that's Hewlett, yeah. yeah. who doesn't panic, isn't going at 100 miles an hour, just says, "What have I got on?" Lays it into the path, and there's someone who's who's just not that's messing around at that stage. And so he, he is half right, but it's yeah, it's exactly. the, the, the poise from Hewlett, and and just that 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 power, and he just not messing about. Was he Marco? That that that, that moment. But you're yeah, you're, what, you're right about that.
2: I want to, I want to ask both of you, and you might have a memory of this guy just. Keep were slightly old at the time so when there's a game ahead tennis which is what Rob's talking about and Valters completely mishits a long range shot going to turn it on the edge of the area when when the ball goes from Valtas to Hullet Van Basten is offside he's not offside when Hullet passes the ball to him but I I mean not that it matters I mean I, I couldn't care I'm glad obviously historically the Netherlands won but I thought at the time it's that whole you know if he's not offside what's if he's not in for him to play what's he doing on the pitch so I wonder whether strictly speaking that goal should have been disallowed. I don't know I've been obsessed with like, offsides in this, yeah. this tournament <laughs> because the because the standard is so low compared to modern football. Um, it, it's it's very
0: women. hard, isn't it? It's it's very hard with offsides because even today with VAR, well, I say you know I shouldn't use the mm. word even there with VAR. It just seems arbitrary whether you say oh at that point that's where the man's offside or yeah, he, exactly. he isn't offside. What you did hear a lot of was. Phrases like, um, in that case, they'd say, Hullet's carried the ball and he's got Van Basten back on side, or players will Mm. go back on side. Because the pass isn't made, you kind of allow the time where your opponent, where the the player has got the ball in order to get back on side. And the f- most famous example of that was, of course, Leeds where Don Revie led the team <laughs> the yeah, exactly. at West Brom because the I think there's a pass, but it's to himself. So the West Brom player right. Dally Brown, someone miles Brown yeah, yeah. retains possession and brings mm. his teammate back on side by getting ahead of him with the ball. So but it's it's really hard because there'll be lots of examples where where the, the flag goes up and the whistle is blown because there's a pass play, played forward, albeit not to the man who's offside, but there is a man in an offside position. I, I really can't remember.
2: And what I quite like Rob, about this, and of all the controversial moments, if they are controversial, is that there, there's a bit of analysis, fine. There's not in some cases, but even the, um, the penalty that Ireland should have had when the side fell galvin it's a bit of analysis, but there's no, you know, they just move on. Um, the, it, it and this is my problem with VAR because I think it's created a greater entitlement to correct decisions than you had when it was just a referee. And I, you can't put that genie back in the bottle or whatever. Um, you know, the, you know, Charlton has a bit of a moan after the game, but not much. I mean, there's no mention at all. I mean, this probably isn't offside. if by the by. But, for example, there isn't much mention of the card challenge on Lilligan before the first goal. The papers mention it could have been a foul, but there's no kind of this is an outrage, blah, blah, blah. I just think it was kind of slightly healthier culture. Um, and I, yeah, I, I know, I know it was getting it was getting worse before VAR, but it's obviously got a lot worse after it. Um, Martin, yeah,
1: yeah and I, it... I, I want to ask, I want to ask the two of you something because you're just slightly older. When I think of strike partnerships of the '80s, certainly '70s, um, big man, little man, uh, for from knockdowns or penalty box predator, and maybe a more withdrawn number ten like yeah. Lineker and, and, and Beardsley, Not for sure. example. Yeah um and what watching this this particular game back from the Dutch what this looks like is the future and spin it on for the next 12 years mm. to the the absolute epitome of that in France's Euro 2000 win and that's pace mm. and that's two yeah. players with pace and strength and that that as I said that's going to develop and develop and develop in France where you know um they couldn't get enough sprinters and they are um they're kind of forward line but that's what england were terrified about was getting in behind at that that level of skill and power and an explosive pace and i just wonder in that summer of 1988 whether that was something new because my again my my mind thinks about where football was at that time your paces on the flanks; it's the wingers, it's, it's, it's wide players, maybe fullbacks with an engine, um, but strikers are they're hanging around or they're going to give you knockdowns or they're going to be very clever and just you know just kind of play play in behind. But that that kind of combination that that both Hewlett and Van Basten had seems like the 1990s and actually touching the 21st century in in 1988 is that fair or not? What what, what I would say is that is
0: the difference was that the combination there's always been fast center forwards. There's always been big center forwards. There's always been center forwards with touch, but to have two who were nine and a half to 10 out of 10 on pace, technique and power felt a bit unfair actually, because, you know, it was bad enough having one of them running at you, but having two, and that was that was the difference. You you looked at you looked at those players and you thought, well, how can they be, how can they have that touch and be six three, six four, how can they just knock players about off the ball and yet when they need to get the heart rate down and find find a critical pass and get the ball in the far corner, be able to do it like that, and that's that's what felt like the future. They were three dimensional when it, when you were lucky to have one dimension and certainly very very lucky to have two. I think at that time.
1: So from from the eighties and even beyond uh, before, who would be as quick as that? Because you're talking about that, that counter attack. They they know what they've got there. They they know what they can spring. Well, Stuart kind of work, Barlow, Stuart Barlow for Everton
0: was as quick as that, but he was known as the headless chicken <laughs> because he, he was hurtling off and end up at the corner flag, and that's uh, that's what you tended to to get with with genuinely quick players. Um, yeah, if, uh, know, Owen, Owen was, a, was quick, amazing. but he wasn't big. You know.
1: Is this just where, where athleticism is is going? Because this is where Milan is, and and, and I, I get again, yeah. they they just look to me like the future of players who look after themselves. You know, ironic. Well, I'll just say one more thing before. In. Just
0: say one more thing before I bring Rob in. Is if the first goal is an offside? Uh, sorry, if Van Basten's first goal is an own goal or whatever, it's is as we say with the shinning of Ronnie Whelan's uh, goal, it, it doesn't really matter in that no. sense. But to me, it looked like a man of six foot three scoring a goal that a man of five foot six and Gerd Muller would have scored 10 years previously. And that's a difference.
2: That's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no, you're right. And it's interesting that he turns Adams, obviously. Now, this game is remembered as Van Basten tormenting Adams. Well, in fact, he torments everyone in league defense. I actually feel about interestingly, Adams 21, Van Basten 23, the two youngest players on the pitch. Um, and Adams always jokes about how he's sad when England beat the in '96. You know Van Basten bottled it, blah blah blah, because obviously he retired. Um, right. But I actually Adams doesn't have a good game. But I feel a bit sorry for him that it, he was the one because his life, you know, turned to shit essentially for two years after
1: this okay. okay. tournament.
2: He he won the league, but this is the the start of the donkey stuff. So his drinking gets worse because they were absolutely linked. That was the only way he said could, he could shut it out self loathing essentially, and obviously he ends up in prison um and yeah i just felt a bit but i also i was thinking about because england looks so vulnerable defensively was we spoke a bit about options they had and there was, was one that i'd forgotten completely which is des walker who makes his debut in the first game after this tournament so he wasn't quite there but it's i was looking up to see des walker, He's put his 22 and has played three full seasons at forest um but i thought that was interesting because when people talk after this because um ireland's result officially putting out, so they were gone by the evening, and so the postmortem begins and people are talking about who's the new generation. They mentioned Paul Gascoigne, they mentioned Gary yeah. Pallister, who actually wasn't really even though he's a great player. Paul Stewart is mentioned, but Des Walker's not mentioned at all, so it'd be interesting to know because Walker would be in my all-time England 11, I think.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we talked, we talked about Maldini earlier, and I'm not saying that Des Walker was quite in the Maldini class, but he's probably the closest English defender in my time who could play like Maldini. For about three or years. Yeah. Slightly
2: different place. Yeah, For about three years, he was just magnificent. I just want to say a couple of things. Um, so the third goal is, as you said, a corner, flipped on, Van Basten slams a volley. And I think he gets in front of Robson actually, which is interesting and, because that's the kind of thing you wouldn't expect Robson to miss out on. But maybe that's just an anticipation. I thought whatever. it was
0: Gary Stevens, but I may be wrong. In, I'm not I sure. I, I might,
2: I just, You're it, usually Des, right, Rob. No, no, I'm not. Well, at the, the TV coverage <laughs> on the BBC, you get literally 90 seconds post-mortem on the TV. There's not even time for Terry, Terry Venables and Bobby Charton in the studio. Not even time for Venables to speak. It's just show the second half goals. Bobby Charton talks and then he says, Des says, sorry, Terry. Blah blah blah. 90 seconds now, it'd be about 90 days,
1: but um, so I thought that was a, well. The tabloid's made up for it though. You, you got your, <laughs> oh my God. You know, your money's worth in there. Um, <laughs> I see oh, it's
2: brutal, isn't it? The, the,
1: the, the calls for for Robson's um dismissal pretty much early, get Clough in. Um, someone was asking, he still is the favorite to still be England manager though in the World Cup War
2: file start, I see. Yes, so, he is. And interestingly, Graham Taylor is second favourite. Yeah, this is yeah. before Aston Villa finished second, and yeah. it's a long time after Watford have finished second. Um I wanted to ask like, you quickly get oh well, actually just before that, there was a guy, Graham Allen, Labour MP for Nottingham North, tabled a motion in the House of Commons that Robson should be replaced by Brian Clough. The motion was supported by twenty MPs. I mean f- fucking hell. I want to tell you guys, is it worth for people who aren't familiar with this? Just,
0: just before just okay. before you do, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Just before you do, Rob, when mm. I was reading those tabloids, I had really strong memories of Mike Bassett, England manager, because they, they didn't <laughs> need to do much satirizing, much exaggeration. Because those press conferences and those no, attitudes no. that the press uh, display against Mike Bassett, it's, it's there against Bobby Robson, national treasure now. It, it, uh, but uh, then, is, you yeah. know, uh, an absolute pinata for them to hit as much as they could.
2: Well, I was going to ask you, it might be worth explaining for for people either age or um, geography to just talk a little bit about the tabloid wars and just how severe they were in the 80s and how Robson kind of got caught in that, because it feels like it was particularly brutal.
0: Well, everything was a a tabloid war at that time. I mean, I think uh, (laughs) Robert Maxwell had bought the Daily Mirror. Um, Rupert Murdoch was using the sun as a cash cow uh, in order to... Um, fund what he thought was future and turned out to be the future in satellite broadcasting with Sky and there was there was just nothing that they wouldn't do the stakes were raised higher and higher there was it starts out with competitions where you get to win a Christmas hamper and a few weeks later it's a million pounds you know that's that's in the the competition which never appeared or didn't appear and uh, it, it, it was it was a frenzy and I know we've we've talked you know outside of this about the uh, the impact of social media and so on and in some ways it wasn't that different the kind of vituperation that we see on social media and the extremes of position and the, the taking of of hurt and the giving of hurt it, it was just mediated more i think through narrow channels um including mm, the, the yeah, exactly the, what are now called the red tops uh, they were then the, the tabloids and I, I, it's hard to say, it's hard to really tell people who weren't aware of it at the time just how influential the tabloids were because there was only three television, well, before in 88, I think. So, before yeah, cool television you. channels, um, there was local radio and there was, I think, Radio One for pop music, Radio Two was easy listening, Radio Three was classical and Radio Four was highbrow. Um, there was no talk sport or anything like that. So the whole of the kind of agenda, what we now call the Overton window of what was allowed to be discussed within the public sphere, was almost entirely set by the press. And when it came to football, that was the tabloid press. Of course, the broadsheets did it, but that was the Guardian reading types like Graham Lasso. You know, um, vast majority of of uh, people took their football opinions from the voice of Sports. I think that was Ken McGee in the uh, Daily Mirror from the John Daily Sadler. Express. And, John Sartre, uh, the man
2: uh, too straight.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the Sunday Express Jesus. and stuff. And so they had real influence and they knew they had influence. And boy, were they puffed up on the, uh, the arrogance that came with that. And I found reading some of those pieces, they're almost unreadable in their hostility in the sense of entitlement mm. in the handing out of j- instant judgments and I-, I stopped reading the tabloids and around the, the, the mid-80s um started reading the, the guardian but i re- i remember i mean the tabloids have never had a good press in in liverpool for a variety of reasons long before uh the uh, the sun's um disgraceful performance over hillsborough but um when you see nineteen eighty eight you kind of you kind of see why i I packed up on the tabloids, and they're not as bad now, obviously they're not as bad now, but all that poison has moved online, and you just wonder you just wonder the world would be such a better place without it, and yet, if I open up anything on Twitter or on social media, the poison just flows and flows and flows. Uh, sorry about that rather long rant there, but Martin.
1: <laughs> no, nothing to nothing to, um, add to you.
2: I, 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 well, one <laughs> thing I was going to say is, I've probably said this before. The, the kind of villains, if you like, of the, the designated villains of England's campaign were Lydica and Adams. Lidica, the villains probably wrong, but you know, everyone we'll talked about mm. how many chances he missed. Um, Barnes and Beardsley were dreadful again against the Netherlands, which is really interesting because they had had sensational seasons for Liverpool. There's a bit of talk about Liverpool because they won the title pretty much by January, had they peaked early. But it's hard to square that with the performance of Whelan and particularly Houghton for Ireland. The other thing is, again, there was um, a lot of talk in the paper and it kind of makes sense that this is the first tournament when the European exile had really had a profound impact because, you know, Mexico 86 is it one year, this is three years. And while I think there is some truth in that, it's hard to square with, again, Ireland at this tournament and also England at Italian 90 when it had been five years. Um, I still think ultimately England were a bit unlucky. You know, I think on balance they probably deserve to beat Ireland. I think a draw wouldn't have flattered them against the Netherlands. Um, but there you go, they lost. I they I, I
1: think was...
0: well, my My last question uh to you, and before we we wrap up, I'm oh, sorry, Martin. Go
1: on. Yeah, it's something that we are recording this. What the day after the. First Ashes test this 2023 20, summer has just concluded, and we, we have been talking about how so many variables, so many moments, um, can mm. can move a result either way. You know, there only are three results, um, and the simplistic nature of our coverage of that. Everybody, you know, whether it's just yeah. friends chatting or or the you know, the national kind of media coverage. Um, you're right, I, until I watched any of these games the narrative is very clear this has been in a disgraceful tournament three bring three defeats Of course, um doesn't really get much worse than that and you've got your fall guys and your your donkeys and and and, and everything else and some who, who don't really get blamed um but that's yes results drive that i i do understand but shouldn't we be better? At, at maybe even maybe that—that's history's job actually. Because in the moment, of course, that's how people are going to react. It is results. You're out, and you're out within a week or whatever. Um, but history's job should be to to fill those gaps in a wee bit better and put a wee bit more meat to that bone because you, you England were under strength for reasons we've talked about. But that game could have easily gone. In a different a different direction. Certainly, if England had uh, capitalised those chances early on, um, and this this drive for the simplistic performance, Van Basten tore them apart. Well, he did, and he was impressive, and it was really the the, the launch because he'd, he'd been injured for what half the year before or after the new season in Milan, and this really is the launch of of what would become a legend. Um, but that's not the story of of. 90 minutes and 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 maybe there is a a responsibility um especially 30 odd years later um to be able to to not rewrite history but just maybe add in the color that that you you can't have i guess in the the immediate aftermath because you do need someone to blame you're disappointed it's been a it's been a failure that that's the that's the the, the bottom line um but margins in sport we too often do we do we we talk about this and Perhaps Italia 90 is that story in in reverse. A successful win in bit of commas, uh, uh, England England tournament, which could quite easily have, have, have looked like 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 something else. And it quite could quite easily have looked a hell of a lot better, of course. Um, but it's sport isn't binary, even though of course it is nah. because you can only have one winner. But it doesn't mean that the 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 other the other team is always um an an utter disgrace, an utter disaster. Manager doesn't know what they're doing etc, cetera, et cetera. And that's what's Rob's, come out Rob these out. two yeah. That's what's so come out what, in these two games.
2: Sorry, Gary, go on. So
0: what what would be your answer, Martin? Because I suspect it's going to be different to mine. I'm obviously interested in, in yours, Rob, is the the question I, I put is if that England team faced that Dutch team ten times, what distribution of results do we get?
1: yes yeah, the netherlands message. walk away they, they, they walk away with more victories than england do i think um again i still think that the, the issue for england that day is an issue that england have had for a long time since and it's the, the lack of that that, that camera presence in the middle of the park which is something that's kind of um anathema in this country um and uh, that that that's what kind of stood out. But on that day, certainly, things could have been a lot different. And as two years would, would tell when you know, so, so nil-nil in, in, in Sardinia, but but England was a better team that mm. night. Um and even qualification for um you know 1984 famously could have gone very, very different way. This this notion that these are Dutch masters, this is a Dutch team who have not been in an international tournament for 10 years um yeah some of those players are, are european champions with, with psv3 of course would go on to be legendary european champions with with milan but um I, again it goes back to this that, that they're just so superior so superior um a, a, in a different world i'm, I'm not quite sure it says you know a 9-1 uh, over 10 games i think they, mm. they, they probably do shade it um but um players used differently perhaps and certainly a fit Lineker because as we would find out in the next game, very unwell indeed, um, then I, I think that's a, 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 a kind of different, a, a, maybe just a different story. Um, but yeah, I think they would share it but I don't, I don't think it's as, as clear cut as we like to, to, to think. What would you say, Ralph?
2: Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think maybe something like five three two, five 5 to the Dutch. I'm not sure whether 3 is England or the draw. Um, but, yeah, something like that, I think. I don't think it was a huge amount between them. Um, I think the... Um, I mean, we we spoken about it. It's so easy to forget, given the reputation this tournament has. England were really fancied by everyone, not just in their own country. So I think there was an element of shell shock. But I think that's also one of the reasons... I mean, there's, there's a bit, actually, you talk about the coverage interrupting Spain v Belgium. I don't, I don't know if you lads saw it, but um, Ireland, USSR and ITV at the final whistle, they go straight to the England Hotel, where Lineker and Robson have come out for their dinner to be interviewed. So you can imagine how that went down to some Irish fans Um, because that result officially put England out. Had Ireland won, England would have just about been alive. Um, So the five minutes after one of Ireland's greatest performances, I talked to Lineker and Robson. Lineker in particular looks like genuinely, almost like he's grieving. Um, I think they were genuinely shocked. How quickly it happened as well but i think that's also why this is my favorite game of the tournament politics it was really good but partly just because of that cutthroat nature four days into the tournament and one of the joint yeah. second favorites is going yeah. um and I, I just love stuff like that you don't obviously you don't get it anymore really um but yeah when you look back on them and actually in those in those circumstances a pretty open game two and fair play to and for their limitations maybe they were too open actually um Maybe, maybe they did need Brian Robson defence. I don't know. And Steve McMahon would then come into the field or maybe Peter Reed, I don't know. But um, it was a very open game. and Yeah, a really enjoyable one, I thought.
0: I mean, I, I went 6-3-1. I went six times the Dutch win, three times England get a draw and only one yeah. England win. And my reasons for that oh, is... Oh, really?
2: That, That's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. My reasons, my reasons for that is tournament play, especially at this time, was not a marathon. It was a sprint. And... Mm. especially again at that time before the Jeopardy was taken away to some extent, the best players tend to win a lot more matches. I think it was harder to win with systems in tournaments then. Uh, Certainly, it's harder to win uh, than it is with a, a kind of system like the way Liverpool won with their pressing game over 38 weeks and there's going to be times when you can ease off against lower teams and stuff like that my experience and I, I haven't got anything other than a subjective judgment I remember having this conversation a long time ago uh, either on Ness and Dormer or elsewhere is that most of the time when I look at tournaments as to which team won it it tends to be the team with the best players and that's not just kind of the best players in the tournament but what become the best players, when you look at it objectively, when you look at the spine of Rykard and uh, Hullet and Van Basten and you, you look at some of the others there. I think the Dutch have better t- players and that ultimately is why they won. Martin, you you, you look like you're, you're going to challenge that and that's fair enough, that's what it's about.
1: I would challenge one out of ten for sure, but I, yeah. I, I would agree, but the, the caveat about the, the, the tournament with, with the best players, the best players who are in the groove in that month that's what it's all about. It's about these these big yeah. names. We have seen big names. Some of the best players of all time have horrific tournaments. They're just not fit. They're just not in, in a place. And it's just about getting... If it's kismet, it's it's just... Some something a wee bit ethereal, more ethereal than planning. You've just got people that are fit, that are healthy, that are in a sound mind and they, they gel together as a team because that's another thing we've seen with well, nationalities with and tons t- of players can't make it work. And it's just in that month, in that time, it works.
0: Well, I have some, I have
1: two some years
2: later, there.
0: I was, just, just to come I have some sympathy mm. with that view because at the Gareth Southgate play at National Theatre, I was sitting next to my brother and at one point, I just turned to him and say, "How the hell did France not win that World Cup in Qatar? Um, because uh, they they had the best eleven players from that you could select to put on the pitch, but they didn't win it. So maybe I'm arguing against myself there. But good point,
2: Rob. And and two years later, of course, Hullet and Van Basten stank the place out at Italian ninety, absolutely diabolical yeah. for all kinds of reasons. So it is interesting. I mean, I, I sort of agree with your point, Gary. But but yeah, you're right. There's so much of just peaking and then you come into the whole thing about people like Scalacci who have their one moment in the sun it's so interesting Um before we wrap up should I just kind of be really boring and do a kind of state of play at the end of the two games so you yes pay. please,
0: please got... do and that will finish our, our part we'll be back for uh game day three in a moment but set it up for us Rob uh,
2: so two points for a win which Martin said earlier this is before it yeah, been adopted everywhere West Germany three points Italy three points Spain two, poor Denmark none. Games to come, West Germany, Spain, Italy, Denmark. So, you know, you pretty much know that Spain needs to beat West Germany. As they had at Euro 84 in the last game, which put West Germany out. I think Antonio Mercedes scored a last-minute goal, which was a huge shock. It would have been an even bigger shock if they do it when Germany are the hosts. Um Group B or Group 2, USSR three, Ireland three points, Netherlands two, poor England none. So what you have there, of course, is Ireland now probably need a draw against the Netherlands, but there's already talk of will England do them a favour? Because if England beat the USSR, depending on Goldford and so on, Ireland could go through with a defeat. Um, Netherlands, it's pretty simple. They could go through with a draw, but realistically, they need to win against Ireland. Um, so, yeah, you've got almost two dead games. Well, half dead, anyway, in case of Denmark and England, but they are obviously significant for the other teams. Uh, and that's it. Well, that
0: concludes our deep dive into game day two of Euro 88. We'll be back soon with our analysis of the do or die matches in game day three. It remains only for me to thank Rob Spy. Thanks, Rob. Cheers, lads. And Martin Ramsey. Thanks, Martin.
1: Our oh, pleasure, guys.
0: And I've been Gary Naylor. Come back soon for more Ness and Dorma.